Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to the second part of my conversation with David Hammond, the CEO of Blue Coding. In this part, we are discussing the more personal side of being a leader in a company. And uh, David is very openly sharing about the highs and the lows of him running a company, especially when you are doing it in a virtual environment. So we are talking about confrontation of of difficult things. We are talking about uh, finding some relationship between work and the other aspects of your life. So I'm not saying balance here, but you're saying relationship. We are discussing three strategies to handle stress that David has um, defined for himself. We're talking about how he is helping himself to go through difficult times, what kind of help he's asking for himself in his uh, career and life, and uh, more things about personal side of being a leader of other people. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Again, take this time to reflect on your own journey. Where do you need help? Where do you feel good and strong, meaning that you should maybe leverage that more and pay attention more to being grateful for those parts. So really take this time for learning from David and his experiences, but also for reflecting about your own experiences and taking action where it feels like you need to change something. Enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. I want to talk about something different, if this sounds good yeah. to you, but I want to talk more a little bit on the personal side. So we've talked yeah. a lot, quite a bit about business and, and culture, and I'm happy to go back to that. But you just said something that, that resonated with me, which is a mistake made twice is a choice, right? And I think that's only valid if you know you're making a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And like I'm thinking about my personal life. There's many mistakes that I've made many, many times in a row before mm-hmm. I realized maybe this isn't the way. and so. You know, I'm thinking about uh, things like, and, and so I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'm I'm thinking about uh, love life, right? And the fact that for me, many times, it's not clear what I want in a relationship, right? And so it's hard to say you're making a mistake or not making a mistake if you're not sure what the outcome is supposed to be. And so I've gone to a, a new therapist, and and I've and I just came up to her and I said, "Look, you know, I'm here because." I want to understand my feelings better. I don't know what the heck is going on here, but it's very hard for me to have stability and know what I'm supposed to be doing if I don't know what I want, right? And so I think that that also applies to business in the sense that yeah, we all know we want to make money and we want to grow in a certain way and we probably have our ideas of where we want to go. Uh, but ultimately, if I came to you and said, hey, there's this other path that will make you just as successful, which one do you want now? Suddenly, it's not clear, right? Suddenly, it's yeah. not clear whether you're making a mistake or you're, yeah. or whether you know whether the mistake is staying or going. If that makes sense, it's a very interesting reflection, David. How do you raise that awareness? Like you said, that you're going into therapy, yeah. I guess, partially for that to grow that awareness of what are the mistakes. Well, 
So for me, it's about understanding priorities. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking a little bit about, so I'm gonna, just going to take this to the personal level a little bit, right? When I was starting out the business, I had one goal in mind, which was I wanted to have an extra $2,000 a month. That was my goal. And then I hit that. And then that wasn't important anymore because you know, once you have things, they're no longer important. And I had some other goals in mind. And financially, my goals today, yes, there are some things that I would like to buy. But a big part of it is, hey, I have this nonprofit that I want to fund. I want to fund a lot of charity work with. right? And so my financial goals have shifted over time. And so has my thinking about where this business needs to head. Fortunately, it's always been in the same direction, right? But even the speed at which you need to go might shift. I don't think anybody's going to say, there might be some people who say, hey, this is big enough for me. I just, this is lifestyle business. I make good income. I'm happy. This is it. I'm not growing anymore. I think in most cases, entrepreneurs want to grow to the moon, but even to the moon, there's like different levels of that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, which side of the moon? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, and, and you know, there's there's certain people who will say, look, if I can sell this company for a few million dollars and retire, I'm happy, right? And there's some people that want way more. You know, they want to grow a billion dollar company and be famous. And so I think your priorities will shift over time. And you need to constantly evaluate, all right, so where am I at now, right? Based on my current outlook, what the next 10 years, what do I care about? So I, I now I'm now I have the two thousand dollars a month. I'm okay. I have an apartment. You know, I'm I'm comfortable. What do I care about now? And I think that comes tied into other aspects of life, right? So I think at some point you stop caring so much about work once you once you've achieved things in work, then you probably stop caring so much about advancing financially, and you start caring more about family. You start caring more about hobbies. I don't know other activities. But sometimes I think that it's not clear, and so. Have you had this this feeling that suddenly you're you're closing a chapter in your life? So for example, when I ended college, it's like, okay, you know, this is the end of this chapter. Now what? And you kind of have to jump into something else. It's a new stage. And that the same can happen when you get married, when you get divorced, when you sell a business, when you lose a business, when you move to another country, whatever it is, each of those things, it's like, okay, now all of the things that I used to do in my previous life, or most of the things have closed. And so they're no longer going to take up most of my time. What's going to take most of my time now? And I think that oftentimes that's when we're faced with this question of, I don't really know what I care about because the things that I thought I cared about, I'm done with. Was that one of those closing chapters that motivated you to go into therapy? So for me, it was issues. I was married, issues in my relationship. Kind of that's where, where it started. Um, at some point, we separated, and I I said, oh, I I need to go to therapy because I need help figuring out you know what the separation means and how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you know once I think once that was done, initially it was I have I think so I think it was you know suddenly this this previous love life chapter has has closed in one way or another, mm-hmm. and now what? And and the questions weren't what I what do I want? They were more about how do I handle this? Like I mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I. I need some some tools to handle my emotions and and try to figure out how to feel okay and relatively happy and stable and move forward. And at least during that period for me it was very difficult with work. I had a I had a kind of a guilty feeling that I wasn't performing at work and I was supposed mm-hmm. to be. And it's weird because I don't have a boss demanding that I do better work, but I feel I felt a heavy responsibility towards the team. And I remember I would go to work and like I wouldn't get anything done. For, for weeks on end. like I felt like I didn't have the mind space to get important work done. And I just resolved little things here and there. And, 
and and even at some points, you know, I could, I my team could tell that I just wasn't wasn't available the way I should be, and so I had a, mm-hmm. I had um, I, I think one of the you know some some of the first conversations I had in therapy were around well, what I, I need to work, you know, what is it, what's causing me these issues, and the answer was you have this huge emotional thing going on in your life, and it's normal, you know, just deal with it. <laughs> it's going to take some mm-hmm. time. And later on, many of the conversations have been around emotions and work. And how do I, or or the relationship between other aspects of my life and work? So I think it, it, you know it started out because there was a crisis, and then it, it's kind of evolved. I don't know if you uh, you've been to, to therapy, but people go for all sorts of reasons. And I think for me, it was like, well, I discovered this cool tool that I can use for different things. You know, and sometimes it's because I need to make a decision, and I need somebody to help me figure out what's important. Sometimes it's because I'm having some sort of situation that I don't know how to deal with. Right, like I need help dealing with 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 stress or with anxiety or with something like that, and so I, you know, I've, I've I've begun to think about it a little bit like the doctor, where mm-hmm. you might go to the doctor because you're sick, or you might go for, for a regular checkup, checkup, right, or because you have back pain that hasn't gone away for like six months, and you're just curious about what it is and how do you get rid of it, and mm-hmm. so there's there's different levels and and so on, and yeah, and I, I've I've. I'll tell you an interesting, an interesting uh, thing that that happened. For example, uh, this was this year at some point earlier, and I, I was having like certain periods at work, like a week where I just couldn't focus, and I was stressed about everything. It felt like everything was going to trash at you know the company. And I was actually talking to a coach. She's a business coach, um, and she helped me kind of talk through these things, right? And all right, so why are you feeling stressed? And what's changed? And what's going on at work? And what's going on in your personal life? And one thing I realized was that I was feeling stressed about work, but nothing had changed at work. There was really no major change. The clients were still there. The projects were still getting done. Everything was getting done, but I was feeling a lot more sensitive about it. And then I realized that, well, these things are being triggered by feelings outside of work, right? Mm-hmm. my personal life. And then I discovered this whole sequence of interesting things. So what, ha- what, what seems to happen to me, at least, is that I will have a one or several things that come up that start stressing me out, right? So it might be one annoying client, but it might be a series of things. Like I had a flat tire and you know, I had a small client issue and I'm getting a little bit sick and I'm annoyed by something else. And then these things add up and then I get overwhelmed. And then when I'm overwhelmed, it's too late and this affects all of my life. And so, so the first things I learned was, all right, well, I can actually tell when I when these things are adding up. So when they're adding up, like first note, take note and then remove myself from situations that are going to make me more stressed, right? Because I often felt like the need to confront things. It's like, oh no, there's problems, so I need to go fix them, right? And oftentimes the solution was, well, wait a minute, you're getting stressed. Let's not deal with all these things together. A second thing that I that I learned was um, once you are overwhelmed and stressed and you're in that stress state, how do I diffuse it? And so there were three, three, three strategies that I came up with, and I actually wrote a LinkedIn post on them. One of them was understand where the stress came from, and you know, just figuring out that it was the flat tire and the angry client and this other thing together makes a difference because suddenly you realize, well, you know, these things—they're kind of normal. They just happened mm-hmm. in the same week or in the same day, and so that helps you understand that it's not that, um, there was a major crisis. It's just like some things added up, and you you feel overwhelmed. The second thing that I learned was thinking about the future and that, that strategy of think five years in the future, does this still matter? And the answer is most of the time, no. And another way of looking at it is, you know, what are the consequences of this? What are the likely consequences? And what are the worst consequences? 
in many cases, I've told people like they have a bad situation with their boss. And I'm like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? You get fired. So what? You get another job, right? And suddenly they're like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, this isn't that terrible. I guess I could deal with it. So thinking about the future and, and kind of what are the consequences? And the third was uh, getting distracted. And so one of the things I realized, at least for me, is that if I let time pass, those feelings kind of settle down. Mm-hmm. And then I come back on Monday and I can deal with the things that I didn't want to deal with on a Friday because they were too overwhelming. So those were three, three, kind of three things that I, I came up with that worked for me. So that's the kind of thing that I get out of therapy. How do you know whether you just gave things subside to get back to some energy level that is more manageable versus suppressing the feelings that need to be worked through? Oh, so that so I I, I told you I started working with a new therapist on actually had a session with her last Friday. And so I'm telling her about these things and she's like, no, 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 this is all wrong. You're repressing your feelings. And I was like, wait a minute, that's <laughs> that can't be right. So <laughs> New therapist again. <laughs> so, no, no. So I think I, I don't know a lot about therapy, but I have the feeling she's a strong believer in the subconscious and everything that lives down there. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. You know, it's not something I necessarily grew up thinking about. And so what, what she's saying is, yeah, those three, those strategies that you use are great, but actually you're just, you know, sweeping the problem under the rug. Feelings exist and things pop up because you need to deal with them. And so I'm exploring that now. I'll let you know in a few months. If you want to have another, another conversation, I might let you know what I learned from that. But I think there's a point there. I wouldn't say it's either or. To me, it's really, there is a function in sometimes just sweeping it under the rug and just letting it dust there a bit in a pile until you get the capacity to work through the things. And like I had those conversations with several of my clients in the different times. And they're like, oh, I'm escaping from this stuff. And I'm like, no, you're actually taking yourself out of the situation that keeps dragging you down, that just keeps spiraling down. And we're working on actually getting some energy and then we'll go, go back to that situation and process it. But yeah. it doesn't make sense to do it right now. Just as you said, not confront everything that's, that is happening, right? If you don't have the capacity to do that. So I think the, it's about the balance there, but it's an interesting question to play around with yourself. And like, how can you be honest with yourself? On the moment, like in the moment, am I escaping right now or I'm pausing it and we'll get back to it uh, when I have the capacity and stuff like that. And it's not about like, processing in an yeah. esoteric way, but it's more about like taking the learning out of that, understanding what has happened and so on. So I have a, a thought around relationships, which is that you can have many successful relationships. And people don't have a soulmate is my, my perspective on it, right? <laughs> but there are people that you get along better with than others. And so you don't want to pick one that's like really tough to deal with. Uh, you want to pick one that's you fit in, you know, nicely, and and you get along well, and and the qualities that person has work well for you, and the qualities you have work well for that person. And there's not going to be a perfect fit, but I think that the, what you have to notice is that something that might work really well for you and another person, another partner might hate. Right. So there's some people that need to communicate all the time. There's some people that don't want to communicate. There's some people that prefer loud conversations where we get through things. And there's some people that prefer to have very subtle conversations. And so the one of the questions I think about is, well, what am I okay with? What, what, which of these qualities really don't sit well with me? And which ones am I fine with? Right? Because there might be things that you might perceive as negative or as difficult or as challenging, but that you're perfectly capable of handling because, you know, because of your personality, because of mm-hmm the way you respond to things and so on. And so thinking about the problems that come up in life, 
there are some that you don't have to resolve because you're perfectly capable of dealing with them, you know, and they don't affect you in a big way. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, there's people that are terribly scared of confrontation. I, I don't, I don't like making people feel bad, right? And so, putting me in a situation where I constantly have to make people feel bad, it's not a good thing for me. It's probably something I have to learn to deal with better. But there's mm-hmm. other things that I frankly don't care about, and other people might perceive as negative. Mm-hmm. And so, some of them you just get to sweep under the rug. If you don't, you know, if they don't bother you, and then it's okay. Yeah, so it's the a, a matter of exploration, self-exploration, and as as you said, for example, therapy can be helpful with that because quite often it's difficult for us to see those things without that professional mirror in front of us. And that I, you know, as you said, I, I'm not sure whether you're in therapy. I, I am. Yeah, or, I am. I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm talking about myself okay, as well. Yeah. That I, I I do that as well for myself even though I'm a mirror for my clients, right? And they love it and appreciate it, but it doesn't mean that I am a good mirror for myself because I'm, I'm home blind, so to say. So it's one of those ways to raise that level of self-awareness, just deep conversations with friends or whatever it is. Find your toolbox, genius leaders, to, to keep raising that self-awareness that you can find the way how you function. And what David said here about finding those lists, I sometimes do this exercise about the workplace, uh, culture within the company, or even romantic relationships with my clients, where I ask them to write those three lists of musts, like non-negotiables, um, then absolute no-goes, and can be compromised. And when we just see those three columns and we see, okay, there is a complete disbalance here, then I start challenging, like, is that really a must? Why is this a must as well? Because some things contradict each other. So good luck for you to find <laughs> find this workplace or partner when you know you need to be black and white at the same time and things like that. So I think it's it's good to have those different tools that can help us understand ourselves better. Mm-hmm. I, I have two thoughts that I wanted to share. And I wrote, wrote them down because otherwise yeah. I'd forget. But one of them is I think that there might be things that you're comfortable with at certain levels of exposition and not comfortable with at others. And so mm-hmm. I, I always say that uh, we all have crazy friends. Right. And you always have that one or two crazy friends that do things that make no sense to you and they're really stupid, you know, and what they do sometimes, or they make terrible decisions. And we get together and laugh about it. And I don't really care because I don't live with them and it's not my money that they're spending and it's not me that they're getting in trouble. But if I had a partner that did those same things, I'd be going crazy. Right. And so the difference is just how exposed I have to be and what the consequences are for me. And thinking in the word workplace, you know. Sometimes it's just a matter of building, of, of limiting your exposition to things that you don't enjoy. And so there might be one person that you just can't work with. Maybe you have somebody working between you guys, you know, that because putting you in contact directly just doesn't work. But hey, there's an intermediary that gets along with both of you and things are fine, right? Or there's a client that you hate and you don't want to talk to. Good. We'll have somebody else talk to that client. So that was, that was one thing, the, the crazy friends analogy. But the other thing that one of the key learnings I think for me over the past 10 years is has been how related the inner health, you know, the emotional health, the mental health, and our outer success is, right? And our ability to get things done. And I think that when, you know, if you look back 10 years ago to when I, I started the company, I had a very uh, rational thinking, which was along the lines of, Look, you find the problem, you make a plan, you go through the steps, you get it done. Like that's, there's not much more to it. Um, if it doesn't work, you reevaluate, you repeat. And 
that was all fine, except for I couldn't get through the steps. You know, mm-hmm. oftentimes there were problems getting through the steps. And, and I saw that as a failure in discipline. I, what I was thinking was, well, you know, I, I know what the steps are. I just need to do them. So my problem is that I need to send more emails and I need to get up earlier and I need to call more people and I need to focus better. And so a lot of my energy was spent on how do I eliminate the things that are distracting me so that I can focus better for the three hours because that's actually what I need to get this done and then we'll be fine and the project will be completed and we'll make some more money. And after being exposed to uh, you know, going through divorce and other situations in my life that made me not able to, to function at the level that I wanted to uh, in, at work and, and in, in other activities, one of the key things I learned was first be kinder to myself. You know, I was like, I've been ignoring this the maintenance of the automobile, automobile, if that makes sense. Well, you know, you need to change the oil and <laughs> and all the fluids and make sure the tire pressure is right. And and if they're not, you're not going to get to where you're going, or you're not going to do it as fast, right? Mm. And so, if you think of uh, of yourself like a, a car, and you're trying to go somewhere, you might have the map, but you need to have fuel. You know, your tires need to have the right pressure, and your oil needs to be new and clean. And otherwise, you're going to have hiccups along the way, and your car is going to break down, and you're not going to go anywhere. And so, I think that um, what I've learned is to focus on the fact that yes, I have a plan and a bunch of things that I want to do, but I need to take care of the car first. And so, I need to make sure that I'm in a state where I'm happy. I'm doing exercise. If I have anything that's you know emotionally difficult, I'm dealing with it in one way or another. Because otherwise, I'm just going to burn out and not get anything done. I wanted to ask you, what are your ways of uh, taking care of the car? But you you said about exercising and processing the things, the emotional, anything else that you do? I've been excessively kind to myself, maybe, in the sense that maybe I've gone to the other extreme. I sometimes feel a little bit bad with some people at work because I know that they work really hard. And you know, sometimes my position uh, as a CEO is, well, I have to set an example. And how am I setting an example to these people that are doing such hard work and you know really eager to get things done. But I had a customer a few years ago that uh, the relationship had um, the relationship with him had kind of devolved into a situation where he wasn't happy and I was constantly trying to uh, make up for it, right? And so that that created a lot of anxiety for me. That was the first time I really experienced anxiety. And I remember it was, you know, eight at night one day and this must have been 2017, something like that, 2018 maybe. And I remember I was, you know, it was eight at night and I was answering client emails and he was stressed about something that should have been done. It wasn't really an important thing, but I was very stressed that the customer was stressed and there was money involved. And that was the first time I was like, I need therapy or something. I don't know. I need somebody to help me. But one of the decisions I made was I'm just not going to answer emails after 6 p.m. And I'm not even going to look at them until tomorrow. Right. So that was kind of the first step I think I ever took. And that was the contrary of I need to be more, more productive. Because in the past, it had always been, I just need to be able to answer the emails earlier and deliver for the client on time. And, and then I won't have this issue. And, and the, that was the time when I said, oh, this is not good for me. I'm just not going to answer my emails. I'm going to look at them tomorrow. Walk me through the logic here, because I'm pretty sure that now people are listening and like, huh? How did he come up with that, with that solution? Why would that solve his problem? So can you explain to us what was happening there in your head, David? Well, I think what happened was that it was a breaking point. It was a breaking point where the emotional suffering, to give it a name, that I was going through was I cared about that more than I cared about retaining the customer relationship. And so I said, look, if this customer is going to leave, he's going to leave. 
I can't feel this way. Like I, it can't be eight or nine or 10 at night. And I'm answering this guy's emails and fighting with him. Like, this is not good for me. And so, and I, I think that's a very important question because this is something that's come up over and over where it's, there's a point in a relationship with a customer, with a friend, with anybody where you draw the line and you say, yeah, this relationship, if it's going to be this, it's not worth it to me. And as soon as you draw that line, things get resolved, right? Mm. As soon as you go and you tell that customer, look, we are not going to deliver this on time and without pay. Like, this is just not going to happen. You have to pay us or else you won't get the thing. As soon as you tell your friend, I'm not going to go out with you if you're late again, you know, then one of two things happen. Either the relationship goes away or, you know, or the other person says, oh crap, I actually care about this. Uh, let me fix it. Right. And so in this case, this customer ended up leaving. And I remember I was super happy when that happened. I was like, oh, good. They left. And I was weird because I was losing a bunch of money, but I got my mental health back. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I remember very clearly not being upset by it. You know, the customer mm-hmm. eventually said, you know, this relationship isn't working out. And I said, I agree. You know, it wasn't working out. And so, but, but I, I, and I think this happens too in like personal relationships, love relationships. You know, there's a point where you're like, okay, you know what? I'm just, not dealing with this situation anymore. Either we don't have this situation or we can't be together. And one of the two things happens, either the situation is resolved or it's not. But I think that what happens over time, as you learn to figure out you know, where you don't want to be, you know, I, I don't want to be answering emails at nine at night. I don't want... Then you start putting barriers in place earlier. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I did was I stopped creating the expectation that I would answer emails after 6 p.m. I just don't. I don't look at my email on weekends and then people don't expect me to. Right. Mm-hmm. I tell people, look, here's my phone number. If something terrible has happened, call me. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to create the expectation that then builds up to the situation that I don't I don't want. I think you're touching on something very important, David, this boundaries and expectation management. Uh, I just think of two examples of my own. I, I told you before we recorded that I had an intensive today with a, a new client of mine. Yeah. And I was talking about that. Like, okay, if we start working together, so that's up to him now to decide whether he goes into six-month commitment. And I said... The package includes three calls per month, but then you have the support of me in between. I don't want to have the relationship of stop and go between the sessions. If you feel stuck, you write to me. And I said, you can write to me anytime. I reply on my terms. And that can be in the evening, but it's because I have my own schedule. I usually take one to one and a half to two hours in the morning just for myself, for self-care practices, whether it's sports, mental health, and so on and so forth. So it's up to me to decide whether I reply to someone and whether I work in the evening or on the weekend. So I always re- uh, put that there. So you send your messages to me and I will either address it if I work or I'll let you know like, hey, my next working window is then. So it's just putting that there. So I, like, for me, those boundaries are not super clear because I just feel better for myself to not pressure myself into some specific working window. Uh, and I want to have this flexibility of my availability. But I really clearly talk through that with the potential clients so that they know what to expect. And then the other, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I don't want to. No, that. just you wanted to address this one. And yeah, then yeah. I- it was it's interesting that sometimes it's not even the other person setting the expectations on you. It's you setting them on yourself. Like I have, I can give you two different examples. I have two employees. One of them is always working and always feels pressure to deliver, even when nobody wants the thing for like right now, you know? And mm-hmm. so you'll write to them and they'll reply like at 10 at night and you're like, it's Friday, just come back on Monday. It doesn't matter that much. And then I have another employee that when she says, I am going on vacations, I 
just don't expect to hear from them at all <laughs> because that's the expectation they've created. But oftentimes it's you putting pressure on yourself rather than somebody yeah. else putting pressure on you. And that's again the very important part to be self-aware, right? Yeah. About those things and uh, get have people in your life who actually mirror that to you. Like, hey, David, I'm not asking you to reply at 10 p.m. Yeah. You're having those expectations and you're projecting them on me as your manager. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to have those conversations in our life and, and have the relationships where this honesty can be yeah, um, yeah. brought there. All right. That has been the longest conversation I've had in a while <laughs> on fun. this show. I've had a lot of fun. Is there anything that we have not covered that you feel like, okay, it's maybe important to mention, whether it's professional or personal thing or interrelation or of those two? No, I'm, I think that if I had to summarize in like one or two sentences, key things, there would be that first things take time to figure out. Mm-hmm. And second, you know, be kind to yourself along the way. You know, I think those are the mm-hmm. two ones I'm, I'm thinking about. I love them. I think it's a great summary to everything we have discussed uh, from the beginning of the conversation of how you, you talked about that you're still figuring out what you want to do with the business nine years into it, but also with the personal development, that it takes time and we just need to be kind to ourselves to get through this process and enjoy it. Yeah. No, I've, I've enjoyed the subjects we've talked touched upon. I think that uh, they need to be talked about more in business. And I mean, you've been on LinkedIn. It's all a bunch of people telling others how they do an amazing job. And I think we need to have more of the conversations of this sucks and it's difficult. And here are some things that kind of work for me. <laughs> it actually, I think it's growing. That camp is growing. And I might have built a bubble around myself of more people <laughs> on that part. More people. Yeah. <laughs> So um, it's it's a fresh air, a gust of fresh air for me, to be honest, when I go on LinkedIn, when I see all these people just being transparent, like, hey, guys, it sucks. I hate it, but I wouldn't do it differently. I would not go into employment, for example, because I just cannot be an employee. Uh, I suck at that. So it's those conversations are coming more and more. And I really appreciate that in the space. Yeah, likewise. David, thank you so much for this time and for the conversation. And just to wrap up where can people find you what which resources should i put in the show notes for yeah of course out? well thank you so much for having me on i really appreciated it if you want to reach out to me i'm on linkedin david hamat that's h-e-m-m-a-t if you're interested in hiring developers in latin america www.bluecoding.com altogether and if anybody just wants to talk about either i have you know emotional issues and business or I, how do I build a team remotely or anything like that? If you shoot me a message on LinkedIn, I'll send you a Calendly and we can have a conversation. Sounds great. I'll put both of those, both your LinkedIn and the Blue Coding uh, webpage in the show notes. That's Sounds easy good. people to reach out. Thank you so much, David. I am here for you if you ever need anything. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And to nice the viewers, just want to remind you that I feel you, I see you, and I love you. And I really want to remind you, just as David said, it takes time sometimes to get where you want to be and understand where you want to be. So give yourself some grace and take care of yourself on the journey. You'll get there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others, and it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.